This is The Bull, The Bear, and My Brother's Chair, a podcast hosted by brothers Nate and Brian Lucius, leaders of Gradient Financial Group. Each episode, they'll talk about how they're bullish, how they're bearish, and the chairs they cherish. Hey, I'm Eric Wall, graffiti artist, speed painter, and author, and motivational speaker, and I'll be here on the podcast today to talk to you guys about thinking different, how to expand consciousness into possibility. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us today for this edition of The Bull, The Bear, and My Brother's Chair. I am Brian Lucius, and I've got Nate Lucius with me. Nate, what's happening today? You know, pretty, uh, all in all, pretty good week. Uh, <laughs> had some fun this week. Uh, kids have been sick the whole nine yards, but things are good. Tis the season. Tis the season, my friend. That's right. Well, we got an awesome guest today, so we'll talk about him a little later. And some of our uh, listeners saw this man speak, and he was probably one of the better keynote speakers that we've had. So if you're ever looking for a uh, keynote for one of your events, our guest today, I would highly recommend him. He could fit in any industry, anywhere, and kicked off a meeting like no one I've ever seen before. So we'll get to him in a sec. Now, what I want to talk about, Nate, is we're going to talk about something we're bullish and bearish on. And I'm going to take the first one, okay? All right. Bearish. Something I am bearish on is the election season coming up. Okay. Okay. So am I bearish on elections? No. Am I bearish on democracy? No. Bearish on the direction of this country? Absolutely not. What I'm bearish on is the election ads that run and the mudslinging and the insults and all that stuff that just is mind numbing at the end of the day. What, where are you at with this thing? Is this well, excite you or um, I you? do believe, before I get into my thoughts and opinions, I do believe we will see plenty of political ads in the near future uh, through November of uh, Miss Pelosi ripping up the speech. The, <laughs> I feel that that move right there, whether you liked it or hated it, is going to be one that uh, will reappear on social media and or the television. There's already some pretty solid memes on them. There are, and videos and all kinds of stuff. My favorite meme so far is it said at the top of it, this is me with my bar tab at the end of the night. Showed her ripping the paper. But regardless, we'll see that stuff all over. It's obviously going to interrupt my social media game. So anybody who's scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, these things are going to be all over that. There will definitely be the friends, family, whoever that uh, go hard with the posting either one way or the other. And then, you know, as you lay in bed at night or sit at home, you read the 477 comments about everything under the sun. So that's always an enjoyable experience. I do agree. YouTube comments are some of my favorite. Like someone will comment on YouTube about the video Pretty soon they're having a discussion about whether a Ford or Chevy truck is better somewhere down in the comments. And the yeah. saddest part is I read them all. <laughs> yeah. And a Ford or Chevy ad turns into a political debate. It's just, <laughs> just a fact of life. So I've got, uh, let's talk a little bit more brass tacks about what we're really dealing with. Okay. Here. Barring some crazy thing and the impeachment isn't going to happen in terms of him being kicked out of office, unless there's something else that comes up, which you never know. Yeah. But the democratic field uh, recently went through their Iowa caucus, which was uh, 
maybe not smooth as some might. Uh, smooth would not be a word I would use to describe it. No, I would say the country was bearish on the caucus. The country was definitely <laughs> bearish. And so I have got the Vegas odds. Now we're talking. Here we go. So let's let's really get down to it. So you're got telling the, me that I got to pick. I got to pick a candidate here that I'm bullish yeah. on. Well, I don't know. I mean, based on the odds alone, I think there's some pretty good bets, and I think there's some poor ones. So let me just tell you where we're at. Okay. We've got the Vegas odds. Uh, Mr. Bernie Sanders and Mr. Joe Biden are currently the front runners as of uh, end of January. This was the end of January poll. Okay. And so they are at, Bernie is at plus 215. Joe Biden is at plus 225. For those of you who are not familiar with gambling in Vegas, let me let me clue you in. Yeah. That means generally you bet $100 on Bernie. You give the casino or whoever $100. Yeah. You get your, if you win, if he wins the Democratic nomination, not the election, but the nomination for the Democratic Party, you will get your $100 back. Plus you will get $215 as a win. So you'll have 315 bucks off of your $100 investment. Okay. So just so I'm clear. Bernie, you said was it? I wrote these down. Plus two fifteen. Biden plus two twenty five. So right. I put in a hundred bucks and I want Bernie. Let's say. Yep. I he wins the nomination. I get a hundred and two hundred fifteen on top of that That's for three fifteen. Right. Yeah. Biden, I'd get a hundred and two twenty five. Right. So Bernie's got better odds then because I'm getting less money, right? Uh, that's correct. Okay. So the next okay. rung of candidates uh, include Mr. Michael Bloomberg, kind of a. Okay. New, newcomer, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, Miss Elizabeth Warren. Okay. And uh, Mr. Pete Buttigieg. Okay. If I said that name right. And what is the uh, what's the money line here on They're these guys? between six fifty and nine hundred. Mm, so you hundred bucks. One. You win if you win nine hundred. If Pete takes her down. Pete's a plus nine hundred. Yes. At the current time, these odds will swing. But yeah, uh, let's. Now there are some people out there. Uh, that are um, still on the board that are not in the race. Okay. In fact, Hillary is at plus 2,000. Oh, okay, you she come up big and she in. comes out of nowhere. A Michelle Obama, oh. plus 5,000. So, okay. Hey, there's there's some folks. Some upside potential. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> like uh, you know a parlay bet at the Super Bowl. You bet the coin toss and the score of the first quarter and all these things, and there's always a chance. There is no spread where, like, Bernie wins by so, so many electoral votes? Uh, no. Okay, just no, no simply spread, a money just line a straight bet. bet. Okay, got it. <clears throat> so I got Bernie and Biden are my... Are my leaders in the odds? If I want to make a little more money, Warren and Bloomberg are at six fifty, yep. and Buddha Judge is at nine hundred. You got a hundred bucks. Who are you going with? Who's going to win? Well, if I were now, same with gambling, I might like the Minnesota Vikings, but if the spread or the odds are much That's better, right. where I can win the money, yep, and that is my goal in gambling. Now, with this being said, with this discussion. I want everybody to know that we are not giving gambling advice. Please consult your casino or local That's bookie correct. before making any final gambling decisions. Um. I would say I'm surprised that Bernie's at 215. Now, I will say that the only thing with Bernie is Bernie is about the polar opposite. What I would say is what Trump is. If if America is sick of career politicians and that kind of thing, and that was the message that they sent to Washington by sending Trump, it's quite possible that the pendulum could swing to the other side and, and Bernie could get up in there. Potential. Yeah. But I don't like Bernie's odds of doing that. I don't think that... He's that far behind Biden. He's a swing back to uh, 
He's a swing back to a uh, longtime politician, yeah. so he might just be if America wants what's you know always been yeah, there. Yeah, just back to kind of middle of the road. Bloomberg, I don't hate the Bloomberg bet. I mean, that's something that you know when you think about it, we haven't had a wealthy New York millionaire really <laughs> ever in <laughs> office, <laughs> have we? That's uh, oh wait, it's been a while. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. we do have Maybe. one. Yeah, okay, got it. Warren, not taking that one. Buddha Judge, those odds are too bad. I'm going to take if I were a betting man, I think. Biden is probably the bet that I would place. All right. I like it. If I had uh, my $100, I'd split it two ways. You know, you can do that. Oh, right? okay. He's, so I'd go 50 on Mr. Bloomberg. Okay. The new guy, tons of money. Lots of upside, like upside in, your, in your win there. Okay. And the other one is kind of a, kind of a long shot, but I'd go with, uh, with Mr. Buttigieg. Very so cool. fifty on each and split my odds and roll the dice. So you're just gonna basically put your hundred in and say I either yeah. want a lot back or I'm out. Now in a future uh, episode, I think what we should do is once we get a little closer here, is then we can pair all these people against uh, Trump. So there's a whole other set of odds oh. of head-to-head competition and who stacks up the best. Because one of the things that they all talk about is why they're best suited, not really in terms of their overall you know political stance, but why am I best suited to take on Donald Trump? And so anyway, that's that's a separate set of odds that we'll talk about in the future. Okay. Now, even though I am bearish on the election advertising, I would say if I put some money on it, this might be a little more fun to watch through the season yeah, here. It's, it's out there. Everybody right, can do cool. it. All right. Well, I'm bullish on my wager then and uh, bearish on the ads that I have to sit through to get through to this. Yep. Yep. So, Nate. Tell us about the guests. Yeah, so uh, excited today to have Mr. Eric Wall uh, on the program. Eric, as Brian mentioned earlier, kicked off our uh, Gradient Summit meeting in Miami in January of this year. Uh, the guy is, it's difficult to describe who he is and what he does, but if you watch him on YouTube or you follow him on Twitter, I would encourage you to do so. He's an unbelievable person. He's an artist. Uh, he's a visionary. He's, uh, he's just an unbelievable person in terms of his presence on stage his message he delivers and, you know, he actually paints uh, with video and music and he's painting on stage and you have no idea what he's painting, but he, he weaves it into his story about uh, the art of vision is really what he talks mm-hmm. about. And how do you, you know, in the traditional sense of success, right? You got a job and a house and a family and success. And he pushes people to say, you know, what does that mean? And how can you be more creative? And how can you do these things in your daily life to just make things that much better? And he's uh, an incredible guy. And he will give some, I think, some really, really good tips and advice on how everybody can do that in their daily life. And he, he was high energy. He's an amazing speaker, amazing motivator, very smart guy. And he's a good guy. He painted two paintings on the stage. And we had a crowd of 460 people, I think, in attendance. He painted two paintings, and what's interesting about him is even though he's an artist, he doesn't really make his money doing and selling art. The only time you can get one of his paintings is at some event like this. He only paints at these events and and then doesn't sell them, but he gave them, in this case, to us, who hired him to come there, and we auctioned them off later. And we auctioned them off to go to a charitable cause. Uh, The charity that we used there was Gradient Gives Back. I think it raised thirteen or fourteen thousand uh, dollars. Yeah, twelve or thirteen thousand. Yeah, so a g- good chunk people. going back to charity. And there, I mean, you, there's not many ways to get these types of paintings, and they're phenomenal. And when you're there watching it, it is like nothing you've ever seen. So I'm excited to hear from it. I wanted to do this interview, but uh, Nate did win the coin flip, so 
I'm going to go ahead and give up my chair and uh, we'll go ahead and let Eric take it. All right. Well, thank you, Bilu, and thanks for joining us, Eric. Well, I'm excited to have uh, our guest with us today, of course, taking my brother's chair. And that guest is Mr. Eric Wall. For those of you not familiar with Eric, he's an internationally recognized graffiti artist, a best-selling author, and I got to tell you, he's one hell of a presenter. So, Mr. Eric Wall, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much, Nate. Uh, generous uh, intro. I appreciate the the kind words. Yeah, I had the opportunity to meet Eric uh Man, it was two or three years ago. I'm sure he doesn't remember it, but I certainly do. Two or three years ago at an industry conference where he, I remember he let off the meeting. And as you, we've all been to these meetings, right? You either get the person who's very analytical, very good, or he's very motivational. And there's kind of, both are fun and exciting. But what Eric is able to do is bring the passion, bring the, how does it, what does this mean to me? How can I use this? But his artistry and his stage presence and his videos and his ultimately his paintings that he does are really second to none. So, Eric, I'm going to start. Just take us back a little bit. You know, you've a world-renowned artist, uh, unbelievable presenter. Take us back, you know, 15, 20 years. To kind of, how did you get into this? How did you get started in ultimately what you're doing today? Sure. Well, the... Um I'll give a, a mini segment first is that, you know, I think your, your listeners are here in graffiti artists, corporate world is kind of a, a gap. And what I did is I, I found a gaping void in what I saw as either entertaining speakers who didn't have much of a message or very analytical or logical speakers whose message wasn't really that entertaining to listen to. So I, I thought, what can we combine these two a little more? And that's the space that I'm in. So I actually do uh, what would be seen as possibly entertainment because I'm painting live in front of audiences, but also making sure to have uh, valuable take-home content. So I think that's where some of this was born. But prior to that, I was not uh, raised as an artist. I hadn't been drawing or coloring or painting uh, for the majority of my even young adult life. I was, went to school to get good grades so that I could eventually get a good job and make a lot of money so that I could retire early. And when that game plan didn't work out following the dot-com kind of bubble where I lost virtually everything that I had. So I graduated from college with a degree in business, had started or been a partner in a firm that brokered entertainment around the world. And so we were fairly dependent on a bullish economy, which if you remember back pre-2000, I graduated in 93 for those seven years. Almost everything people touched turned to gold. Certainly everything that right. I touched turned to gold. Thought, fantastic. I'm, I'm hitting my game plan by uh, the age of 35. I'll probably retire and be able to do what I really want with my life. And uh, when I turned, or just before I turned 30, that's where the, the market came out. My portfolio went away as well as my business that I had been known was hiring entertainment uh, following that time because everyone was kind right. of clamped down, batting the hatches so that they didn't lose any more money in this dot-com bubble. Uh, but I was a, a casualty of that experience and it was not a triumphant, you know, you know what, I think I'm going to become an artist now. It right. was heart-wrenching, uh, just pacing around my house, uh, not knowing the direction, because everything that I had defined myself by, kind of a big checking account, the more uh, financial security I had, the more happy I was, and the less 
financial security I had, I found the less happy I was. And as I reflected on this narrative, and this is, you know, in the depths of my despair, I thought that is, that is not how I want to live the rest of my life, tied to what financial security does to my happiness. So I, I consciously decoupled uh, that connection at that point. And I I'd also at the time was reading a book called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. Uh, really gave me a better understanding that it's not how much or how little money you have, it's your connection to your money, uh, regardless whether it's a lot or a little, it's what makes the difference in, in your relationship with money, how much value we give money in our lives. And so through that decoupling of paradigm, my happiness to my success, I felt if I could redefine success rather than having financial security um, or zeros behind the, the ones in my bank account, if I could define it as a good meal with my family at the end of the day, all of a sudden success became more attainable to me. And that was the ride that took me towards art and really opened up a whole new world of, of seeing and almost consciousness at that point for me because I'd lived a very analytical, logical, rational, form-filling life. Um, right. And, go ahead. It, it, you mentioned earlier, you said you, you're not, uh, make no mistake, he is a very talented artist if you look at his work. However, you made the statement that by trade, by growing up, you were not an artist. Is that, that correct? It is correct. And artists that have come to see me, because I started late, I started painting at age 30. Uh, artists that have since come and watched me paint said that if I would have been raised as an artist, I wouldn't be able to paint the way that I do. Right. I would have been taught logically how to paint. You know, the human figure is seven and one half heads high. Uh, interocular distance between the eyes is one and one half eyes. So I would have been taught logically to paint. The way I come at it is purely from a, an inspirational uh, connected standpoint that is very emotional and intuitive versus logical. And so I think that's what's fun and what audiences catch on to is this dynamic style by which I paint. Right. And I mentioned, uh, you know, when I first met Eric a few years ago and we actually had the opportunity here in January of 20, not too long ago to have him, uh, open our gradient summit meeting, which was in Miami. And he graciously came out there uh, to open our meeting. And I got to tell you, you know, it, that feedback we got, the inspiration, the wow factor was was absolutely incredible. And if you haven't watched any of Eric's work, you got to check him out on YouTube, uh, go to his website, but it's really incredible. So if I could ask you, Eric, your whole concept, if, if I think I have this right in my own words, is how do you take, you know, what many think is a successful life, that could be money, that could be family that could be, you know, people that are comfortable, right? I'm doing well, I'm successful by society's definition. And how do you become more creative, become more imaginative? How do you do those things? Talk to us a little bit about that. Those people that are listening that by all, you know, from the outsider's perspective, they've got it, right? It's happening, but there's something missing. And I think that's a big message that you put out there. And what would you say to those people or how do you kind of step outside your comfort zone a little bit? Sure. Well, um, the first one is, is that container by which we know comfort uh, is going to be disrupted uh, in some way. Maybe, you know, and personally, we, we've had some sort of health challenge or someone we love has had a health challenge. Could be financially, um, 
It could be uh, any number of relationally, any number of different things that are going to disrupt our comfort zone or the life that we thought we were to be living. And so much of what I you know, kind of share as a, as a subtone to what I'm talking about is to help people embrace for disruption. Uh, a lot of it's going to be happening in business. We're moving towards a more automated economy. Uh, we're moving towards uh, a, a lot of elements that are going to be radically different than what we've known up to this point. So I'm sharing this concept that growth and comfort cannot coexist, that we need to ready our ships, ready our enterprises to be able to absorb disruption or even some discomfort or some not knowing. And that's really the basis of creativity is to be okay with not being certain or not knowing the direct outcome uh, of where it's going. So process over product and kind of to prepare our minds, our experiences, our communities, our companies to be able to manage disruption and actually even, if we can, use it as a competitive advantage over those around us who are unable to manage the disruption. So that's the kind of warning sign that I put up there in a soft way. Hey, disruption's coming. Life is going to throw you some curveballs. How are we going to handle those curveballs so that we actually create opportunity or so that we don't do what I did and go belly up and just kind of turtle because this isn't the future that we thought it was going to be? So creativity is navigating change. When you, and that's really good, when you talked uh, in Miami with us, you mentioned, um, and, and I have little kids, so this certainly resonated with me, but you know, we, you're punchline or your the bottom line was look we all kind of start the same right we're not either born creative or not creative yeah we some of us has more you know have more abilities but talk to me about that you know when you're younger all the way up to you get married you have kids you have a job and all of the things that we all fall into give us your thoughts on and your ideas behind that yeah that our children they migrate towards that which they're affirmed for and when they're affirmed for getting 20 out of 20 on their spelling test, they migrate that direction. When they're affirmed for uh, math or reading or science, uh, they migrate that direction. They're not as affirmed for creative problem solving or for differentiating from other classmates or coming up with unique solutions. So it's really a, a foundational challenge that we have based in our Victorian era educational system that we, we re- reward final outcome, um, a letter grades for logical thinking. And there's a lot of benefit to that. I'm not saying we don't, uh, we should discontinue that, but I think we need to find new ways to reward emotional intelligence, uh, intuition, creative problem solving, because if our children are actually rewarded for it, then they will keep doing it. So it's not that we do or do not have it. It was the way that we were all raised. We just kind of assumed that we weren't that creative or didn't have any interest in doing some of these creative activities mind-expanding activities, problem-solving from unique angles, um, holding the unknown or uncertainty uh, while we try and come up with new solutions as opposed to defaulting to a Scantron four-question answer. Uh, So it's in how we raise our children and for us as adults, how we're able to step back and reopen curiosity, to reopen or reawaken our beginner's mind that excitement that we had for life, you know, and metaphorically, I use children as an example because creativity hasn't been unlearned out of them yet. And so uh, they oftentimes have greater access to unique answers because they haven't been 
systematically rewarded for only one answer. So for us to be able to understand our structure, how we were educated, and then also work around that, run circles around it, step outside of it, hop back in it. And that's how we tap back into it is just realizing that aha moment that, true, I have been educated in very systematic uh, format, hierarchical format, and there's other options. There's other ways to be able to look at challenges and opportunities from a little different perspective. And that's really the basis for, again, creativity. And I I use this, it's a very, um, the psychology of success, the greatest form of mental toughness is being able to hold uncertainty temporarily as we look for other solutions. And that's where we default back out of that resistance to look for familiarity when we get uncomfortable. Right. And I think especially in our world, in let's call it financial services, you know, there's clearly lots of rules and regulations and things that are uh, black and white. So I think in our business, it's, it's, some would argue that it's more difficult, right? How do I be creative? What do I do? Are there any exercises that you personally do? Because I'm sure you get in a spot where you're, you know, you're comfortable, you're doing your thing. Are there anything that you do on a daily, weekly, monthly, your whatever basis to how do I reimagine myself? How do I get better? What do I do different? I, I do. I've got some, uh, some fun ones that I do personally and ones that I recommend for other people as well. The first is this awareness. The, the knowing of the need to be a little bit different, and you've made a great point with financial services, uh, it is very automated. It is very black and white. There are yes and no binary answers that we need to abide within, and I'm not encouraging people to go Bernie Madoff on me and <laughs> uh, come up with creative ways to right. uh, grow clients' money. This is marketing. This is attention. How do you gain uh, new customers? How do you provide overwhelming value to your existing customers um, so that they all become your best source of future marketing. So it's almost in that branding and connectedness to what is happening to me in the world around me so that I can use these financial vehicles to best leverage towards my dream. And some things that I, as far as when we're talking about creativity, our language is an art. The way we use language, therefore the words that we choose to fit within that language have very significant impact. And we can use words to tell great truths. We can also use them to tell mistruths. Uh, We can use them to bend to shape metaphor. But that narrative is what connects to other people. So to be able to use a greater palette of words, I would encourage people to grow their vocabulary. Um, If you want to grow your creativity, grow your vocabulary, because that is the paintbrush which we use to color our lives and to connect to other people's their empathy, their emotions. So one of them is, is grow, your, grow your vocabulary. That can be done through just even simple word games, crosswords, certainly reading books, uh, fiction books and nonfiction, but I, I say specifically fiction because it takes us out of our logical world momentarily and, and awakens in our brain cells to kind of seeing emotion, humanity, uh, while we're also thinking about our own lives. So reading fiction is also a great way to expand our vocabulary, again, for us and for our children. And we, a lot of us use the excuse, I don't have time to read, or reading is what I do on vacations by a beach when I got my right. four days off for the year. Um, I think the discipline of reading every day, I think is really important way to stay connected to our beginner's mind and to empathy and new perspectives. I, I use um, improv 
is a sure. great uh, kind of ad- agility skill for thinking, for quick thinking, is to, again, not know the answers that are coming back to you and you having to create something in the moment. Uh, that kind of mental dexterity or agility through improv would be another way that I, I do it, uh, as well as I think other people could have greater connection to their own curiosity and problem solving by doing some form of improv doesn't need to be down at the, the local right. pub on Friday nights. It can be with your family in games like Scategories or um, a lot of those word games that, people, that our, our families use. But those are very, very helpful for you, generating you, creativity. You talk a little bit about, uh, you know, risk, right? In business, we, we think about risk, especially financial or, frankly, other in, you know, I'm taking too much risk. I, I can't do It's a it's kind of a negative, right? Risk. You talk a lot about the risk of being too conservative, right? So what people out there thinking, well, I don't want to take this risk. I'm just, I just want to stay in my little box. The risk of being too conservative. What does that mean to you? That growth and comfort cannot coexist. So we certainly need uh, a foundation with, with structure and security that is absent from risk that we feel and know that we can have assurance or security inside. That's our box of structure or foundation. But if, if we don't venture outside that as we enter into our adult years, in, enter our parenting years, enter our business experience years, then we become very formulaic and homogenous in our approach to how this is supposed to look. We're not nimble. We're not able to adapt and to ad- adjust to disruptions and to change. So again, it's, it's knowing that it is going to happen. It's how well we absorb when we step outside. So I encourage people to push outside that foundation, that box on a regular basis, kind of a mini vaccination lab for risk tolerance um, or being able to remain unflinchingly calm in the face of the most harrowing situations and that we need to give ourselves practice at doing this, stepping outside of our comfort zone, doing something in our business that we're not used to doing for the sake of just strengthening those muscles, strengthening our ability to be resistant in the face of uncertainty. And I use that, um, the analogy of exercising, that when we go to the gym, we're not looking for the easiest workout or how can I slide by without breaking a sweat. We're looking to go meet some form of resistance so that we break a sweat so that we feel we have pushed ourselves beyond what our resting heart rate is so that we can grow stronger. And the same thing with creativity, it's like that muscle, is to to test it periodically, to uh, push outside of our comfort zone in a controlled manner early on so that we can step outside, see something new, and then return right back to our our frame of reference or our um, comfort zone inside the box. But I say that discipline creates freedom and that that discipline to hold our structure temporarily know we can return to it we can return to that blueprint or framing but to step outside and taste something new and then swoop back in and become comfortable again but that that movement of expanding into possibility and then contracting back into focus or execution or our foundation and then again expanding back out into possibility and then back into disciplined action that uh, that dynamic tension between the two that's great. And if I could uh, transition a little bit to, certainly we wouldn't be doing it justice if we didn't talk about your actual events you do, uh, the, the stage presence you have. So why don't you tell us just roundabout, 
how many countries have you been to? How many groups have you been in front of? Give us some idea of, of what your life really looks like on a, on a weekly basis. Sure. Well, for the past 15 years now, I have been on the road doing roughly 100 shows a year um, for the last 15 years. So I've been traveling a lot. So I, I don't, I've been doing opening or closing keynotes for large conferences or association or corporations. So they're, they're private events. Everyone of your listeners have probably been to one national association meeting or somebody's company meeting where they're looking to either kick off their meeting on a high note or close it out on a dynamic high note. And so the, I work with organizations to do exactly that, to create a wow experience for their audience, something that they've not seen before, heard before, experienced before. So that sets the tone for what they're going to take in for the next maybe three days of conference. They know all the language. They know about marketing. They know about the rules and regs of their industry. They know about competition and sales and marketing. But how do we create moments that are going to lift them or elevate them above what they've already heard so that they can hear everything at the meeting a little bit differently. And so what I do is I coordinate with the organization, with the audiovisual, and with the content inside my show with the uh, purpose of trying to create a wow experience or delightfully surprise the audience to the upside so that they're open to new intel. And so that's with my painting, with the music, with the, the way that we use cameras and staging and lights. It's to give the audience something that they weren't expecting or anticipating. Um, and that is what opens our mind up to new ideas is we've, once we break past that strong arm doorman <laughs> that we have in our minds, the broca, um, which surprises our mind, then we're able to take in information a little bit differently. And so I'm through that authentic connection of through music, through video, through live painting, through humorous stories and uh, connected human stories, emotional stories, I approach ideology or uh, ideation, idea forming from uh, an emotionally intelligent standpoint, from an analytically intelligent standpoint, and give the audience this all in a, a tidy 52-minute keynote uh, experience. Uh, but that, that's my goal, uh, and that's what we've been doing for a long time, and I've really loved it. All right, so when you're actually on stage and throughout your presentation, as you've talked about, it's... It's about imagination. It's about creativity. It's about things that people just don't hear about in conferences like this. You're actually on stage and you paint a few paintings per event. What inspires you or how do you decide or what goes into you deciding the message? Because ultimately when people walk away, one of the things they remember is the paintings and who they are and what they stand for. So how do you come to who you actually paint and how does that work? that at the, at the end of the, the presentation, that I, I know that people will possibly forget what I say, but they won't forget the way that I made them feel. And so through painting, through narratives, through humor, through authentic human connection, I kind of touch on the way that makes us, what makes us feel, what makes us feel... Uh, connected and what makes us broaden our, our, our mind, the way we're able to think. And that's often done. Creativity 
it's a soft skill. It's one of those soft human skills as well. And so we can't approach it from an analytical perspective that this is uh, the numbers for how much I appreciate creativity. Here's an analytical uh, scale for how much I love my mother. Here's an analytical <laughs> scale for uh, how difficult life is or challenging it is with the health situation that I, ha- I have. Those numbers can't be measured metrically. And so that's why I use emotion. And the best way to connect to human emotion is through music. It's through visuals. It's through the heart and not through the head. And so that I want to connect to their heart first because that alters the way and expands the perspective on how we see with our eyes and with our mind. And so if I can get to their heart first, not through any manipulation, but rather truly and authentically through their heart, through their own story, their own life experience, then we can all look at the messaging a little bit different and from a a very unified, connected experience. So that's what the painting and music is intended to do, is it connects us to have a human experience and not a audience keynote speaker experience. So I don't want to be known as a teacher or lecturer. I want to be just an amalgamation or a collector of of ideas for a small share. Right. You mentioned to me, and your paintings are incredible, and we actually auctioned them off that night at our awards dinner for, uh, for charity, which I think is a something that a lot of the events or the groups that you uh, speak with and for do. You, uh, as an artist, right, if you put yourself in the traditional sense of an artist, which you're not, usually an artist would make money off of selling their paintings, right? I mean, that that's traditionally how a business mind would think. However, you mentioned to me that you do not sell your paintings. So talk about that and that evolution of, do I sell them, do I not? Just talk us through your your logic there. Yes, and for any artist listening, I, I have a great, um, and I'm very, I understand how fortunate I am for my platform. I, I'm able to make a living based on the keynote uh, or the, the, the material that I'm sharing from, from the stage. So I don't need to fall back on the need to sell or to commoditize my art, and I've never felt comfortable doing that. I feel like art is for the people, art is for the masses, it's not for a select few who have enough disposable income to be able to put one up in their house and have it be a, right. a trophy or a banner. It's, it's meant to connect all of us through story. And so I stopped selling all of my artwork many, many years ago. Uh, however, I've continued to elevate demand because of that simple idea is people realize they, they can't get one of my uh, original pieces from right. commission or from uh, some sort of uh, financial payment or arrangement, it has to be done in one of these live performance experiences. So I tie an entire message, a whole collection of ideas and emotion into the painting. So the painting itself, it does, it's less of an iconic image like you know Abraham Lincoln or the Statue of Liberty or Albert Einstein. It's more to connect to what they experienced real time. And it almost ends up being a mirror then where that painting represents their soul. It represents their ability to innovate. And so the paintings take on a totally different life because I decommoditized them and I made them a tool just for idea generation as opposed to consumption. And so that break that I did many, many years ago, and I think it's, you, you, people, they, um, they, they agree with it. When, once I tell them why I'm doing it, they think, ah, so you're, I'm changing the, the exchange of uh, distribution from money to attention. And I'm elevating a brand. I'm elevating an idea. 
at the expense of I'm not getting any actual money for it, but I think my business is 10x right. because right. I don't sell them and because they're harder to get. And really, at the end of the day, it's raising good money for a great cause where I've already been compensated to be able to cover my rent because of my day job. And now the paintings take on a life of their own where my ego uh, is not connected to. I don't care if they're raised $1 or $50,000 for a painting because it's all going towards great causes where it's more the energy. How, what kind of connection do we have in this audience experience that elevates the price of the painting so that we can give good money to a great cause. Right. So I take, I take right. some pride in being able to do that instead of pocket the money myself. Yeah. And our, our two, uh, we had two uh, advisors in the audience that night that, that won it through the auction, the painting and the money went to charity, but ultimately, yes, the painting's incredible. I mean, if you look at them online, they're awesome. But when that advisor, and I've talked to both of them since when they put it in their office and when it means something to them, right? Every client says, or guest says, what is that? And how did you get that? And then they tell the story and they're certainly connected to your work. And ultimately that's what we all want to do, right? We want somebody to not connect to our product, but connect to us, connect to our, our philosophy, who we are as people, how we help them get better. And so to me, that's, it's pretty incredible. Yes. Connect to the, connect to the experience. Those paintings are, commemorative of the experience that they had in that audience and they're great conversation pieces people will come by absolutely this, this painting in their office it's not like the rest of the paintings and they're able to share when someone says what is this what's this about they're able to share what they experienced from the, right. the presentation so two, two quick we, oh, go ahead I was just going to say, you know, audiences, let's say an audience of 500 people, if I were to ask them at the end of the presentation, hey, what was that presentation about? I'd get 500 different answers because the way that I set it up is it means something to them in what they've experienced in their life right. or their business. So I, I bring the reflection back to them. And I think that's unique also where I'm not looking for three actual takeaways that the audience can go and use right, right now to be more creative tomorrow. It is expanding into their own experience to create a better uh, intuitive business, a differentiated business, a better parenting, uh, greater leadership in the community. So I, I put it back on them to share in their own sense. Right. So two quick questions as we wrap up here. Uh, Eric Wall, the person. So when and I met your beautiful wife in Miami, uh, does she travel with you often or was that just kind of a one-time thing? Yeah, she is now. We're empty nesters. We just okay. uh, sent our, our, our final son off to, off to college. And so we're looking for new ways for us to reconnect to honeymoon as, as <laughs> we're traveling now. Uh, she is also doubles as my uh, executive producer. So right. she books the dates as well as travels on the dates. So I'm, I'm the talent. I'm her talent that she's now <laughs> booking around the country. That's great. So when the two of you are not... Well, let's call it working. What are you guys doing? What do you do for fun? Well, we're redefining fun again because we're empty nesters. Right. Is what we used to do is go to kids' soccer games, to their baseball games, to the, our life centered around them. Now it's a as, as we're also aging, we're realizing that there is uh, finite things that we're able to do. Is you know we can't go climb to the top of Mount Everest. We can't, or at least not without significant training. So we're learning to step into deep time to reconnect to each other uh, at a deeper level. We've been married for 25 years, and I think there's a lot for us to learn, continue to learn about each other and how to help each other age with dignity into the space that, you know, the 
from 50 years old now to however much longer we get, that we're deeply appreciative of, of each other, deeply appreciative of gratitude of our children. And so that's why I think I started this off saying I've, I've been in a bit of a sabbatical because I don't want to be pushing out. I want to be listening. And so when we travel, we, uh, we almost treat it as school, uh, right. that wherever we're going, whatever we're experiencing, movies, we, and we watch about three to four films a week. <laughs> yep. uh, that's just what we've really enjoyed doing because it expands our um, mind. And so it's, it's a quieter, softer listening period for us, but we're practicing deep time. You know, a lot of meditation, a lot of uh, exercise, clean eating, culinary experiences to give our, uh, our mind and our body new experiences that, that are, you know, for myself, pushing outside of our comfort zone in small ways that aren't pushing our bodies to exhaustion, uh, that aren't too much for our minds to take on, that they're, they're within our sphere of, of comfort. But films, certainly a big one. Traveling, a big one. Food has been a big one. Not sure. quantities of food, <laughs> but uh, uniqueness of, of food. Uh, food as a, as a form of school or art. Right. Well, you're you're in the right part of the world for uh, in San Diego for for food and for uh, the some of the the finer things I, of life. So that's it's indeed. a great area. Indeed, so, I, I do love it here. I, I want to uh, first of all thank you for for joining us. And we, you know, in 30 minutes or so, we just scratched the surface of who Eric is, what he's all about. Uh, your website is theartofvision.com. Is that correct? That is correct. So theartofvision.com. It's got a huge social media presence and. I got to tell you, you know, watching it on YouTube is one thing. Seeing it live in person is another. And I'm excited that you're on the show today, and I thank you for doing that. And is there anything else uh, you'd like to leave people with before we wrap up? No, I, I love what you guys are doing. I love this idea of the bull, the bear, and the other chair, that you're uh, talking both economics and financial security as well as getting new perspectives. And so just the whole format for what you're doing is what I would suggest we all need to be doing. We all need to have a bull, a bear, and another chair. We need to have our hopeful, optimistic self. We need to have our cautiously aware self, protect ourselves from downside, and also the other chair, and also continue to see life from other perspectives, non-financial perspectives, heart perspectives, love perspectives, suffering perspectives. All of those things are what make up life. And so just the core of your format, the bull, the bear, and the other chair, is exactly what I'm trying trying to connect audiences with. Well, thank you very much. That's that's very nice of you. And certainly, it, as we know, it's sometimes difficult to get out of your chair and see what else is out there and, and listen to somebody else. But that's the format. And, and I think, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's something that we're going to stick with for a long time to come. And again, thank you for being here, Eric. And check him out if you haven't seen him. And uh, have a great uh, day, Eric. Thank you. You as well. Thank you for the opportunity to to share. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Nate Lucius for The Bull, The Bear, and My Brother's Chair. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check us out on social media and also on our website, bullbearchair.com. Until next time.